You're listening to You're United listening. Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. ProQ Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on today's show, we've got Nathan Green. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, good. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, we're not going to keep you too long because I know it's quite late at night there, but this is uh, one of the first podcasts where I'm the one that's up at, like, at a good time and both Dan and you are in a different time zone, so it's a different flip side to things. Yeah, let's reword that because you're always up at a good time. This is just the <laughs> this is just yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. someone else is on the bad side with me. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, this is the first side the majority of the podcast conversation should have been done in a different time zone. <laughs> but as we establish, chef life means that this is probably the best time for you anyway, Nathan. It is, it's the end of service, so yeah. <laughs> Cool. So can you just start off by just introducing yourself and telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? So my name's Nate. I, I'm out in Hong Kong. I've been here nearly four years. Um, I have quite a traditional kind of chefing background, starting with working as a pot washer as a, as a teenager to... Um, going to get training in, in, in two mission style restaurants, one mission style restaurants, pretty much the best part of 10 years. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I hit, I hit kind of 30, 31 and kind of got fed up with the whole London scene and, and, and lack of progression. So, um, was lucky enough to move out to Hong Kong with, uh, Jason Atherton, um, where I ran one of his restaurants here, well, two of his restaurants here, for, uh, best part of two and a half years before um, setting up my own restaurant, Rhoda, um, which has now been going for 18 months. Awesome. Yeah, I, lo- I love hearing, because clearly we're in a bit we're going to get onto like your kind of open fire type cooking stuff that I've seen you doing at Meatopia, but I really love how so many chefs, like their backgrounds are that kind of traditional route into it and doing the Michelin star stuff and then, I love hearing the story of how that progressed, like going from these uh, other people's restaurants to like going out there on your own and braving it and opening your own restaurant. I think for me, it was, um, it was that want to get the skill base. And I think you get that from the higher end restaurants, the discipline, the, the, the technical skills, the, the understanding of flavor and combination and, um, the, the trying to kind of, um, perfect in what you're doing. Um, 
I find that has really helped, especially with, with live fire cooking um, in regards to it's not just whacking something over a flame. It's, it's really about understanding how things work and how fire can be used to a, to a great effect to enhance, to enhance your food. And I think that's why we're seeing more of it um, amongst restaurants right now. Definitely. So when you were like starting out and you were working in the Michelin style restaurants, was there much of that kind of thing going on in those sort of restaurants or not at all? Not at all. I mean, I wouldn't say I really came across stuff until, I mean, you know, Jospar obviously had a big impact on the market. Then the next big thing was Green Egg. Um, you know, I don't think I even came across the Jospar until probably I was. 29 28 29 and i certainly didn't start working with live fire really again until i was probably actually was working for richard turner i went to run one of richard's pubs and he had a um a small barbecue pit um so i started playing with it there um so i spent about a year kind of playing with that and i moved somewhere that had a, a wood fired pizza oven so start playing around with that a little bit, um, and then also the big green egg boom came in, and uh, at that point I was head chef at Story, and uh, so we were doing so a few a few bits in regards to kind of live fire with that. But I mean, I think it really got hold of me again when really I moved to Hong Kong and we had the Josperate ships and. It was being used as a storage cupboard. <laughs> and and uh, I think the first thing I said to boys is, let's get all that out of there and then let, let, let's get that, uh, let's get that lit up. And, you know, it's, it's amazing the impact on flavour. Um, for, for me, you know, childhood, I one of the first ways I learned to cook as a kid was over the barbecue with my dad. So, for me, there's a real nostalgia with cooking with fire, as well as just as well as um, the evergreen techniques that I'm learning from from doing it. Um, Definitely, that's what like we we say. It's one of the like probably most popular things that people say about what do like how do they get into barbecue and what do they remember about it. Like both Dan and myself will both talk of our dads cooking and grilling when we were younger and. It seems to come up in nearly every conversation we have with someone who's kind of in that world now. Is like, what do you remember most about getting into it? It's like, well, I remember my dad around the barbecue. Yeah, I, I think from from my, from my standpoint, yeah, I grew up in a house where, you know, my parents live in in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, we we for a long periods of my childhood, we didn't have gas. We we only had electric. So when there's power cuts. Yeah, my, my parents' house still has coal log fires. Um, yeah, I remember times when we lost power and the only way to cook on the open, uh, uh, actually over the open half of the fire, you know, to having power cuts even recently and having to cook Sunday lunch or Christmas dinner out on a bar, out on a weather in the garden. You know, um, I, I for, for me personally, you know, my my dad's I always remember my old man's barbecue. It was um, we used to have a coal uh, a coal bin out the back next to the kitchen window uh, against a brick wall, 
and he used to put bricks up with some mesh wedged in between the bricks and then light the fire on top of the metal Colbin. And that, that was our barbecue. <laughs> like we, didn't, we, we didn't have anything fancy. And, and I think by the time he got to put where he retired from work, one of our, one of his cousins, husbands, like an engineer and, 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 and we'd moved from having a coal boiler to having a gas boiler. And, there's a, a, a quarter turn motor. It used to turn a quarter turn every 15 minutes to push the coal into the fire to heat the house. So my dad's cousin's husband, he, he what he did was he took that motor out and he made my dad a spit for the garden. So my dad's got this electric motor spit that turns a quarter turn every 15 minutes. Um, so when he does whole pigs and stuff, he, he just sticks out on Awesome. Um, so we started doing whole pigs and stuff in the garden for like big family parties and stuff. So, you know, it, and then that was that whole thing by which I was actually properly cooking. And I was, I was at, and I was at Tom Aitkins at the time. And, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd go back for these hog roasts and me and my brother, you know, you sit up all night in the garden under the stars, having beers, reading books, watching the fire, you know, and there's something really special about that. You know, yeah, so that's that's the it, life. It beats it? <laughs> it beats my dad's uh, little barbecue doing uh, whole hogs on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like, like our memories. Them, but... Yeah, our memories are more like a, a sausage or a burger getting grilled <laughs> on there. Maybe Dan's got a kebab going on, but yeah, never a whole hog. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Was, that was a bit later on in life, yeah. but it, it was always. Uh, that was always one of his ambitions to do a whole pig. Like one of my old man's ambitions always to do a whole pig. I think kind of, I, I, I went for a very funny phase. You know, I, I was very typically, I, I was taught very quite hard by quite hard chefs. Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, I, I was very much drilled on discipline. I was, a, I was a chef working, like many of us did, a hundred hours a week. You know, I was hell bent on winning Michelin stars. I was hell bent on, you know, being deemed in that category in, in my in, in what I did. And basically, I got to a point where I, I think I was about twenty nine, thirty. I basically had a mental breakdown. Um, I wasn't particularly pleasant to work for. Um, real temper issues. Uh, I was very screamy, shouty, and and. I couldn't accept mediocre. I couldn't accept if it wasn't perfect. And it drive, drove me up the wall to the point where I, did, I didn't work for three, four months. Mm. And um, it was at that point I started to realise, you know, I, I wasn't happy because I wasn't getting any time off. I wasn't getting any time off because I didn't have any staff. I didn't have any staff because, of course, I had this level of perfection that I expected myself to achieve. Um and at that point, I start to realise that find a joy in, in in simplified food. You know, um, I think so was Hong Kong sort of like a fresh start for you then, like a, a sort of yeah. new, new chapter, new beginning. Yeah, it was. I mean, I I I'd gone to a point where I'd worked working in gastro pubs, and you know, Richard's obviously always been a very big, big mentor to me, and hence why. I ended up at Metopia, um, you know, seeing what he did and the background he came from and where he got with Hawksmoor and the things he's done, 
you know, he's done it through doing simple food, you know. And I think for me, I'd gone to a point where I'd pretty much achieved everything I, I could achieve in London in terms of, you know, I was head chef in a Michelin star restaurant. I've been sous chefs in Michelin star restaurants two, three years. You know, a lot of the media out there knew who I was, kind of a lot of chefs knew who I was. Um, yeah, I really wanted to open my own restaurant, but the reality of, in London is that unless you've worked at Noma or Per Se or a World 50 Best restaurant, no one wants to give you the opportunity. You yeah. know, the, the, the biggest irony is I have so many people wanting to take Rhoda to London right now. Yeah. And I'm just there going, <laughs> well, you could have opened it two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. But you didn't, but you didn't want to invest in me. Yeah. You know, so it's like, Hong Kong really was a new start. You know, Hong Kong, I left London £30,000 in debt. You know, I was only £30,000 as a head chef at a one mission star restaurant. You know, I was 31. I didn't have a place to speak. I hadn't been on holiday in four years. I was surviving off like £300 a month or £200 a month to live off because I was so in debt and rent's expensive and could just cost of living in London. So I was just like, you know, why am I doing this? Yeah, you know, driving I'm yourself 30, to the ground. I'm, I'm 31. Like, I've, I've got nothing to show for all my hard work. And reality is I'm the top 1% of my profession. If I was in banking, I'd be on a seven-figure-a-year salary, you know? like. So I started looking at my options, and Jason heard I was unhappy, and, and you know, I'd made a decision I wanted to leave where I was. And, you know, he, he sat me down and there were lots of opportunities with, within his company and Hong Kong was one of them. And, you know, my brother speaks Mandarin, so my brother spends quite a lot of time in, in China and Hong Kong for work. He's a wine merchant. And uh, he's just like, go for it. I, I kept getting offered a lot of jobs in Dubai. Um, yeah. But I would have been arrested in about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, for Dubai, me as well. I mean, Dubai. Not to not to badmouth Dubai, but uh, I mean, Hong Kong has personality. It has exactly. blood for, flowing through its veins. I mean, when you go to Dubai, it's not you don't. I mean, for me personally, I know where I would rather live or, or go to sort of uh, create a, a restaurant or or a brand or something. I know where I would want to be, and uh, I think you made the right choice. I think that's what that's what my brother said to me. He's like he knows me, and you know. I always find Dubai very sterile. Um, it's not somewhere I'd want to go and spend time, to be honest with you. Um, no. And so Jason was like, oh, why don't you just go to Hong Kong? You've got nothing to lose. We're paying you this money. Basically, triple my wages because the tax out here is much lower. Yeah. Um, within a year, I cleared off all my debt. Yeah, I worked less hours here than I worked in London. You know, everyone here works 56 hours a week. So when you're pulling 80, you're still doing more more hours than they are. You yeah. know, um, Hong Kong's great because it's a 24-hour city. So, you know, even on Monday night, you, you're hungry after work. There's someone to go and eat. You know, you want to buy a beer after work, 7-Eleven's open. You know, yeah. like, it's everything's very central. It's very lively. Everyone's very friendly. It's very safe. You know, it's just little things. It's like a taxi here costs nothing. So, you know, like, I just took, took a taxi home, you know, took me five minutes to get back from work, cost me eight quid, you know, 
that same taxi in London would be a £30 taxi. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Is once you've lived in London, it's the small things that you, you really do appreciate. That's, that's I mean, living out here in Kuala Lumpur, it's, it's really the small things that yeah. we just didn't really... You took for granted back home, and now here you're like, oh, my God, like, it's, it just changes so much. Everyone turns around to me and says, oh, Hong Kong's so expensive, so expensive. I'm like, you know, yeah, rent is expensive, but you're getting paid four times what you get paid if you're in the UK. Yeah, tax is half of what you pay in the UK. You know, and on top of that, you know, public transport here is dirt cheap and it's super efficient, super clean. The best public transport system I've ever seen. You know, uh, a taxi here costs nothing. You know, you can eat for a king for under a fiver. You know, in London for under a fiver, you got Pret and McDonald's and Greg's the Bakers. Just, you, just you know, about. You know what I mean? Like, and like even 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 a good kebab now in London's like eight nine ten quid, you know yeah. like it's it isn't like living in London unless you're unless you're only a hundred grand a year, living in London is hard like it's hard, but you know I, I've come out here now you know to earn what I earn here, I'd have to be on six figure salary in the UK, you know mm. and there's no there's no jobs like that, you know and. There's no one wanting to invest in you in the UK. You know, Rhoda was Rhoda here is a groundbreaking restaurant in the you know, getting fire licenses here is very difficult. Getting a license to cook on charcoal is very difficult. Um, you know, and there's certainly no one here applying what when the way we cook at Rhoda, like we're not I never say we're a bar we're not a barbecue restaurant, we're not I wouldn't say we're even grill heavy. It's just that fire's our choice of cooking. So, like, yeah, when we do a braise, we braise it over, it's braised over the fire. When we yeah. bake bread, it's baked in a josper. You know, when we, we, yeah, we do some vegetable dish where we bake the dishes in ash, you know, <clears throat> it's just our fire method. It's not necessarily about putting loads of smoke into every single dish. Yeah, we no. don't actually smoke a lot of stuff because then you mask the flavour of whatever you're cooking, you know. But we, I, I, I started to really do live fire because of I just found it, it, it was so much more involved than look any idiot can turn a rationale on to 120 degrees with 10 percent humidity and a, and a three three number fan and cook this thing that some molecular chef's done or anyone can drop a sous vide bag into a water bath you know, like, a lot of us love is managing the fire building the fire managing your coal moving your embers around to get hot spots and cooler spots and that's, that's a lot of a lot of the stuff that we all enjoy as as people who uh barbecue or cook over a live fire i think so i mean i i think it for me with my chefs you know, you got to bear in mind, there's no no one cooks like we cook in Hong Kong. So literally, my got people coming into work for me are trained very specifically in what we do. Yeah, you know, so like my 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 head chef's Nepalese. So Nepalese have a very rich culture of live fire cookery. He has a good grasp of it, and he loves cooking with fire. You know, and but then likewise, you know, you have the the green grass guys coming in; they don't know anything. And they're all a bit like, whoa, like, and and I think the thing for me is that so many chefs now generally can't cook. They they can follow 
uh, a scientific recipe in a water bath, but they can't mm. cook. You know, the best kitchens in London, places like the Square, man, if you can't cook, you don't last because everything's cooked properly. Yeah. You know, so we apply that with fire, with rotor, is that is that everything's cooked properly and there's no there's no hiding. You know, if you screw up, you screw up. If you let your fires get too low, you, you're screwed for the rest of the service. You know, like, it makes the chefs have to be involved in what they're doing. They have to focus yeah. on what they're doing. And that's it's what like I love honest about Honest food, it. honest cooking, it's just, you're, everything's there. It is. I, I, I just got to a point where you just realise all the thrill and the, the faff is just not worth it. Like, the guest doesn't know the swipe's not perfect or the puree's slightly in the wrong place on the plate and and actually, I strip back. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our dishes are a, a meat and a sort of protein and a sauce. Or you know, we do a beautiful sea bass dish, which is just grilled sea bass, beautiful um, tender stem broccoli from New Zealand, and then we do a truffle butter emulsion. That's it. Three elements on a dish, but three three spot on elements. You know, um, and I guess for me, I, I took great. You know, it's not been the easiest of years actually at the restaurant this year. You know, we we went from Hong Kong's a very fickle market. You know, we went from being the restaurant where you couldn't get a table a month in advance to to you know tonight we've done ten guests. Yeah. You know, like, oh, Hong Kong's facing a massive downturn in trade generally, but everyone's quiet. It's not just us; it's everyone. You know, um, but I took a lot of um, consolation from having St John over. You know, having uh, Fergus over with, with Richard and you know the fact Fergus wanted to come and cook with us was amazing. How did that all come about? How did that all come about? Came out came about through Richard. So Richard came out in April to cook with me. Um, you know I'm very I'm very kind of wary of who we invite over to cook with us because um, mm-hmm. we serve very casual style. Every all the dishes go down on the table for sharing. Yeah, we're not fine dining. Well, we use the best ingredients. Um, we we obviously we have a focus on no wastage, so we do try and take whole animals, which is a lot harder when you're not as busy. We make everything from scratch, whether it's pasta, bread, butters, uh, sorbets, pastry. It's all made from scratch. Amazing. Amazing. You know, so all that, we make our own ham, we dry our own charcuterie, we we, we do everything, and. Um, and so, obviously, for for me, Richard Richard sent me a message one day. It's like, Dave, for everyone, come back in out in October, November time. Uh, Fergus wants to come with me. I'm like, Fergus is like St John. I'm like, no, yeah. no way, like no, <laughs> no, no way, like. And, and and for me, that was a no brainer. I mean, it, it's not yeah. the easiest thing to organise. You know, obviously, Fergus has certain. Um, limitations to what you can and can't do, uh, yeah. but man, that's like you got the godfather of what you believe in coming to yeah. cook with you. And Amazing. you know, I, I learned a lot from Trevor and Fergus, and and you know, they opened St John in a very difficult part of town in a recession. And look, it's it's like an icon restaurant right now. Yeah, yeah it's icon- it, it really is. And and. Yeah, I look at Rhoda. Rhoda, we've opened in a difficult part of town. We've opened in a difficult financial market. We're doing something very new for Hong Kong. Yeah, we 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 went against the grain with a lot of things. You know, we we don't charge service. We 
We don't serve bottled water. We only serve filtered water. We we don't have any big-name wines on our list. We only have small bespoke producers where everything's about what's in the bowl, not what's written on the bowl, so we can offer the guests better value. But your Hong Kong is very much... Um, you, you try and sell them Casino uh, Asturiana beef, uh, but they want Wagyu. Yeah. Or they want Ferrico pork, whereas we serve Mangalitsa. Because mangalitsa, in my opinion, is a way better animal. Better, yeah. Way better. Way, way better. You know? Yeah. And same with the beef we serve. I, I refuse to serve grain fed. I refuse to serve grain fed meat. And, yeah. you know, it's a very grain fed heavy market in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like to chew their food. They think that they should just melt in their mouths. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of what I try and, what a lot of the work I try and do in Hong Kong right now is, you know, the whole plant life thing is obviously big now you know plant-based diets and Mm -hmm. we should eat more vegetables that's me and i don't disagree with that you know but i don't think like veganism is going to save the world either you know like it's it's about balance and you know that's why we try and use the whole animals i'm very proud of the fact that when we take lambs we kill two lambs a month or something like that like because we use the whole carcass yeah you know um so try and educate people in that way educating people in the way you can still have plant heavy dishes but just you know you can use little bits of meat and stuff in them you know it's not necessarily about everything being plant-based so a huge part of what i'm trying to do in hong kong is now educate people a lot more about on ethical eat the ethic being ethical in the way you approach eating meat. So, for example, you know, we 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 had on one of our signature dishes for a long time was ox heart tartar. Uh-huh. And no, it's heart is one of my heart personally is one of my favourite cuts of meat. Um, but you say that to people, and they're like, heart, ugh. and then they try it and they're like, oh wow, actually this is really good. And 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 you know, that, again, that's part of trying to educate. Trying to get people to get away from using tenderloin and 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 strip loin and just ribeyes and, and getting them to focus on lots of different cuts of meat and you know having and, and what's really funny is this year, well, two thousand seventeen, I really pushed for articles on this. No one wanted to pay any attention to me until St John came over, <laughs> and then every journalist asking St John like Fergus and Richard. Oh, and what do you think about ethical meat eating? I'm, I'm there going, rolling my eyes, going. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on for the last six fucking last six months, but you don't want to listen to me. Yeah, because I'm just, uh, you know, that that that's one of the things you do have to contend with here. It's like everything's about labels and market. Oh, yeah, if minute you win a Michelin star or you're 50 best, everyone's up 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 your bum. You know, it's like all of a sudden, then they want to listen to you. Yeah. Whereas you know, Rhoda's you know, I gotta say, Rhoda in London probably would have a star, but it would wouldn't in Hong Kong because they don't understand what we're doing. They don't get it. They don't get how something can be simple in terms of presentation, and they don't get the technique behind it. Yeah, it costs X amount of money. Yet, yeah, I could be a fine dining restaurant, serve them half the size portion. And plate it with a little bit of liquid nitrogen, or on some uh, on a bed of seashells, and they're all, you know, like it. it, it, it <laughs> that's that's the market here. Fluff, 
fluff and Instagrammable selves, you know. But then, you know, then I explain to people, like, I get people coming, like, as our signature dish, our main signature dish, the only dish that is never off the menu is the chicken. And obviously that's what we cooked in Utopia, but a slightly verified version of it, you know. And the reason the chicken is so great is because the bird's so moist. And that comes around from the slow cooking. And that's the biggest thing I learned with fire is slowness. Be slow. So when you have that 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 grass-fed meat that's from an older animal, it might be dry age, but you, you sear it real hot, get that nice colour, and then you cook it super slow for like an hour. And that thing's perfect because it's relaxed and it, it's taking its time. Yeah, we do a tomato sauce, which takes three days to make because it just sits above the fire, gently ticking over for three yeah. days. You know, and the flavor profile you get from the slowness is immense. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things I've really enjoyed learning about is actually not, not running around like a madman all day trying to make everything in 30 seconds coming up with a cuisine that's based around certain things take time, man. Certain things take time to become good. Yeah. You know, the guys will braise pig's heads on top of the Josper, you know, and they'll leave them there for a day and a half. And then they're amazing. Yeah. You know? so, so talk us with that. Uh, uh, you kind of touched on it there, but at Meatopia, you did a dish called drunken chicken. And I, I noticed you guys probably had one of the hardest jobs, I think, because I seem to be like, I'm pretty sure that when I left, you were still there tying chickens. And when I got back in the morning, I felt like you were still there tying chickens. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so you didn't make your life easy there for yourself whatsoever, did you? But can you yeah, talk, so, um, us, talk us through the kind of, the just the like basics of that recipe, because I know there was like, a paste sort of stuff you were rubbing all over the yeah, chicken yeah. and all the rest of it. So, so the, the one we do at the restaurant in Hong Kong is it's chickens that we we rub with a miso nori butter, nori seaweed butter. Nice. And they hang above the fire and, and, and they roast very slowly and they're basted. And traditionally we serve it with spring onion ginger dressing because we always we always say Rhoda's modern comfort food. Um, and because obviously we're, we're in an Eastern market as well. You know, we have some Eastern comfort food. And, you know, my wife's Cantonese. And one of their big dab pai dong thing is steamed chicken with spring onion ginger dressing. So that's yeah. the dish we do right now. And you've got all the but, umami flavors coming through, which are massive over there. Sounds very yeah. nice. Well, umami is always a big thing with us. But then, then, so the drunken chicken came about because my, my sister-in-law's Japanese. My, my brother had been on me for years to use more Japanese ingredients than what I did. And in Hong Kong, you have drunken chicken, which is normally done with the shouting wine. Um, which is super pungent. Yep. It's, it's actually normally served cold. Um, so we took that idea, all right, all right, junk and chicken. Okay. All right, so let's do with sake. Um, like I became really big. I love sake now. Like It's something that I got into, again, since being in Hong Kong. And um, yeah. and we... So what we did was we, we prick the chickens, we soak it in the sake for preferably 12 hours, it, it, long, even 24 is best wow. yeah um take it out let them dry a little bit ideally again if we were in the restaurant we'd 
we'll probably blow dry the chickens or leave them near a fan so they can air dry, which is exactly the same way you make peaking duck and all those sorts of things. Um, and then what we did was we we then we then stuff it with a little bit of thyme and garlic and then the tie them up. We truss them with lots of different knots. So that idea came from Francis Malman. I saw him do yeah. it on the chef's table or on no mind of a chef. He did it with Ed Lee cooking a chicken tied up trusses above the fire. Yeah, that's I saw that. <laughs> that's when I got the idea for doing it. Um, um, we tried it, and man, everyone's always wild about a chicken, and you know that's why I never take it off the menu because I think it, it for me it's without being arrogant, it's a perfect dish. In terms of, I can't improve it. It's not. I can't. I just can't improve it. Um, and so that's why doing the sake one was quite interesting because it was a different kind of looking at it in a slightly different way. And you know, I came across so many different variables at Meetopia that I didn't expect. Um, so, so once we tied them, what we did, we, we brushed them. Basically, we take miso paste, yellow miso paste. Uh, yeah. We mix it with a little. Normally at, at the restaurant, I mix it with chicken stock. But because we had the sake at Metopia, so I mixed the miso with with, with the sake um, with some nori seaweed powder and yeah. then some butter. And then that's what we slathered on the outside. And then literally we hang them on wire, on the wire hooks. Amazing. And we keep rotating it with the fire. But Metopia is, is really weird because I've never really cooked, done that sort of thing outside. And I always forget the restaurant where I've got extraction, and extractions pulling the heat directly up. And over yeah. the chickens at Metopia, it's all going around. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I got to the point where I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, they're going to be there. They're going to be fine. Like, we've got a queue from the from the boo to the back window. <laughs> like, both days, like, I don't think from the minute we started serving, I didn't look up for like three hours, four hours. I mean, first day we, we, did, we did 400 portions. We sold out in two and a half hours. Like that, and then the, the the Saturday, I think we did seven hundred portions, and we we were nonstop from from midday till five o'clock when we sold out. Well, it's it the was, best place to be, though. You want to have a massive queue, and you want it to sell out. That's bonk, like the two ultimate crazy. things, isn't it? <laughs> you, you kind of feel bad for it, but I'm like, because originally when we did it, like Richard's like, "Make make your life simple, just yeah. do chicken thighs." He's like, "Do yeah. the dish, just do chicken thighs." <laughs> And then, obviously, like, like they want the visual element of having all the chickens hanging up. So I'm just like, yeah. okay. I'm like, Nick, so like I said, I'm, like, I'm the only person there doing chicken. I was the only person doing chicken. So I just got shafted. <laughs> so I said, I said so, so if I'm doing it next year, I'm not doing chickens. No. Oh, but you got to do chickens. I'm like, I'm not doing chickens. <laughs> and then I think on the Saturday, one of our chefs didn't. So we were supposed to have a temporary helper. He didn't show up, so it's just like Excuse. it was. It was. It was balls to the walls. Like, <laughs> he wasn't yeah. used to that life. No. Yeah. Well, luckily, I managed to come because all, all my old chefs worked for Richard, so I had a lot of my old boys coming to help me. Actually, which was good fun. Yeah, good to uh, catch up. <laughs> good to have those boys boys with me for, awesome. for a couple of days. But um, yeah. yeah, I think. Uh, Meetopia was definitely good fun. Um, yeah. I, I, I was hoping to come this year, but I think um, my, my wife's due to have a second baby in May, so 
Um, I need to stay at home and do a bit of daddy duty, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that'd probably be get, the best. <laughs> get, get away, getting away for a week and a half, two weeks, is not going to be uh, really doable this year. So, but shame. hopefully maybe the year after. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nate, for taking the time to chat to us today. It's been awesome. We've already run over because that's just what we do and we're busy chatting and lose track of time. But thanks again for being on just before you go can you just let everyone know where they can find you on your website address and your social media and stuff yeah sure um the website is www.roda.hk um you can find me on um instagram on n6a6t6e um and yeah we're 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 always across those. They're, they're our main two platforms. So. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, right. thanks again, mate. We'll speak to you no soon. No worries. Good luck with it all. Yeah. Keep up the hard work. Thanks awesome. for having me, guys. Thank Cheers, you. Mate. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Your United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out kamadojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips, or planks, you can find them at smokewoodshack.com and you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack.com.